0: There are some things you can say in any public place in America. And anyone there from our town will go, St. Louis, where'd you go to high school? Something like, uh, go crazy, folks, go crazy. Or Johnny Landoff Chevrolet. Or, of course, Ken Wilson's
1: Oh Baby!
0: Welcome to Hosted Ravioli, and yes, I am joined today by the longtime voice of the St. Louis Blues, Ken Wilson. Ken, how are you?
1: I'm doing really well, Benjamin, and uh, I thought you did a pretty good job on that old baby. You uh, sounded (laughs) like you were practicing, maybe.
0: To be fair, I've been practicing since I was 13 years old playing Sega Genesis with Brett Hall and uh, Adam Oates, and whenever I would score, I would do Oh Baby, and and now I'm 37 years old, so I've I've done a few over the years, and I'm sure many St. Louisans have too. And uh, Ken Wilson, of course, you've accomplished so many things as a broadcaster in your career, not just with the St. Louis Blues, uh, but of course here in town, we remember you for that. Um, Right away, uh, where are you living today, and what are some things you're up to?
1: I'm in uh, beautiful Portland, Oregon, believe it or not, where I've lived for uh, 10 years. And I'm the commissioner of the Great West League, which is a summer collegiate wood bat league. College baseball players play at their schools in the spring, play in our league in the summer, uh, getting ready for pro ball, at least that's their hope. And uh, we have teams in Northern California and Oregon always looking to expand, and it's a, a good job for me because... Originally, uh, in my stay in the Pacific Northwest, I was the uh, head of the West Coast League, which is a more established league in British Columbia, Washington, and Oregon, uh, so I've been around college baseball and the business of baseball and having a lot of fun doing it. I've always enjoyed it, and of course, in the St. Louis area, I started the River City Rascals in the Frontier League, and with my good friend Rich Sojé, uh, we started the Gateway Grizzlies, so the baseball business is uh, in my blood just a bit.
0: That's awesome, and yeah, I love going down to the uh, to the park over there in Illinois. It's it, it's a beautiful uh, getaway uh, for baseball fans, um, and of course, sports are so important to us here in St. Louis. And and yeah, for for every Brett Hall and Ozzy Smith, there's uh, there's so many uh, if you will voices uh, that deliver them to us. And Ken Wilson, you of course did that for many years for the St. Louis Blues, and and we'll jump into that here on Hosted Ravioli today. Um, but right away I I was fascinated uh, doing a little research on you Um, occasionally we do research here on hosted ravioli and I saw that uh, you were from Detroit and you went to the University of Michigan uh, right around uh, 1968 so I was curious uh, your memories of the St. Louis Cardinals and the Detroit Tigers in the 1968 World Series
1: Let's put it this way, Benjamin. The 1968 World Series was probably one of the highlights of my life, Wow! Uh, being a great baseball fan. uh, That gave me the first opportunity in my life to go to St. Louis in 1968. Uh, You're right. I was at Michigan, and I was the sports director of the student radio station there in the fall of uh, 68, which would have been the start of my senior year at Michigan. And uh, a buddy of mine who was from St. Louis and his dad was either the GM or the program director at WIL. Oh yeah, and he and I were friends he and I were friends on the student radio station at Michigan, and uh, we were both ardent baseball fans, and we decided we were going to cover the 1968 World Series. And we got press credentials. Uh, we somehow found a car <laughs> and drove from Ann Arbor to St. Louis. And to, to summarize it, I went to every game. Of the 68 World Series, Uh, when the Tigers won it, which of course was a great happiness to me because I'd been a big Tiger fan since I was five or six years old, and my family were, you know, they grew up with the Tigers. And I ended up uh, in that uh, dressing room at Old Bush Stadium uh, celebrating with the Tigers. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's hard to imagine in this day and age that a college kid would have a press credential and end up after the seventh game of a World Series in the winning team's dressing room with the champagne flying. <laughs> but I was there, and, of course, uh, I was in the press box at Old Bush Stadium with fellows like Kurt Gowdy, uh, who was doing the coverage on NBC. And for somebody who was a senior in college, that was uh, pretty highfalutin stuff. So I have great memories of that 68 World Series and my friend Bob Gibson and how well he pitched and. Uh, of course, Mickey Lolich, who uh, ironically is a Portland, Oregon native and went to the high school my kids go to now. So oh. 68 was a big, big year in my life. I was young and uh, trying to do all sorts of things and had hopes of someday becoming a big league baseball broadcaster and uh, getting to St. Louis at that time and seeing every game of that series was something that uh, clearly I'll never forget.
0: I'll tell you. Uh, you were you fortunate. We talk a lot in life about, like, oh, did you get to see someone in their prime? Did you get to see Sinatra with the Rat Pack? Did you get to see the Beatles, if you will? You got to sit and watch in person, not on TV, in person, Bob Gibson pitch in the World Series. What were those memories like?
1: Well, you know, I had, believe it or not, I had never seen a National League game in person. Uh, when that World Series rolled around in 1968. And in fact, uh, other than in a World Series, I don't think I had ever seen a National League player or a National League game on TV because in Detroit, uh, back in those days, they had the Saturday game of the week. And that was about all you saw for baseball nationally. And I think, you know, Dizzy Dean and uh, those folks were on the game of the week. I believe it was on CBS but in detroit uh they didn't carry uh the national major league game of the week which would show you the national leaguers uh the tigers always played home or away on saturday afternoon so i never even got to see the national league uh on tv so to see gibson in person and uh, mccarver and you know all the all those guys you know flood and brock and all and maris all those guys uh It was really something, and to be on the field before the games and uh, in the dressing rooms, uh, it was something. I mean, Gibson was, you know, obviously unbelievable, uh, and going against, as it was booked at that time, Denny McLean, who had been a 30-game winner in 1968, uh, that was the big matchup. But it turned out that uh, in the lights, it was Gibson against Mm Lolich, the pudgy left-hander, and, of course, Lolich won out, in game number seven, and the the play and the ball in
0: center sure, field sure, that got yeah. by
1: Kurt Flood that was hit by Jim Northrup was the turning point in maybe one of the greatest World Series ever. And uh, as a Tiger fan, when you, we were down three games to one, uh, you know there wasn't much hope going to St. Louis for games six and seven. But uh, you can imagine uh, the joy the Tiger fans had and. And I had at that time being a very young fella and uh, seeing those players, but you think back uh, to nineteen sixty eight and all the great players the Cardinals had yeah. I mean they had some some great players, Ray Washburn was on that club, and uh, Ray and I have gotten to know each other. He used to pitch batting practice for the Seattle Mariners and uh he had some big big years there with the cardinals no uh, Ray no. and I and some yeah. Last September, Ray and I were at the same event at Safeco Field in Seattle. They had the 40th anniversary of the 1977 uh, Seattle Mariners, basically front office people, and Ray was there, and uh, I sat with Ray, and we talked about his days in St. Louis and my days in St. Louis, and, of course, he lives out here uh, in Seattle. So there were a lot of great players. Uh, It was just a fun series to watch, of course, I grew up as an Al Kaline fan, Yeah, as folks can imagine. And Kaline was nearing the end of his career, as people will remember, and uh, had been hurt that year. And was they just had to find a spot in the lineup for Kaline. How could the Tigers go to the World Series and not have Kaline in the lineup? And that's when <clears throat> manager Mayo Smith made a big, big, big decision and took Ray Oiler, the shortstop, who was a great glove man, out of the lineup and took outfielder Mickey Stanley and put him at shortstop, which opened up a spot in, in the outfield for K-Line. And if folks look back, K-Line had a very, very good series uh, with the bat.
0: Yeah, that is awesome. Uh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this, you, you mentioned Ray Washburn. Uh, pitch a no-hitter, there's a, there's a fun story I heard about, it, it, famously, back-to-back no-hitters. Uh, the Cardinals uh, pitcher, uh, Bob Gib- excuse me, it was Washburn, but it was then it was uh, uh Gaylord Perry from from the Giants, who then no-hit the Cardinals the next day. And what the way the story goes is that um, when the Cardinals uh, were no-hit by Gaylord Perry, the aforementioned Tim McCarver was the catcher that day. But then the next day, McCarver got the day off, and uh, the backup catcher was the one who caught the no-hitter. So McCarver, <laughs> he was part of being no-hit and then had nothing to do with his own pitcher. Pitching a no-hitter, which I always thought was a funny little tidbit uh, in baseball.
1: Go ahead, please. Benjamin, you talk about Ray Washburn, and I'm I'm trying to remember. I can't quite remember what the story is, but if somebody looked up Ray Washburn, you'll see the back-to-back no-hitters. And he also pitched, I believe, in a World Series with Cincinnati. Also, uh, I want to say, and I might not be totally accurate, but it can be looked up. It's something like this. Uh, he pitched in the first game at Bush Stadium and the first game at Riverfront Stadium or something like that. There's three or four or five things like that in Ray Washburn's career that are, are absolutely amazing that one pitcher could have had all four or five of those <laughs> things happen. I wish I could remember it right now, but it's easy to look up. Yeah. And it's, uh, for, for baseball junkies, you'd go, no, one guy, no, that didn't <laughs> happen. But it did with Ray Washburn.
0: That's awesome. I know. Obviously, we'll have a lot of St. Louis fans uh, googling right now while listening to Hosted Ravioli. But Ken Wilson, of course, you're known for the St. Louis Blues, and I just, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm 13 right now talking to talking to Ken Wilson. It's, it's, it's pretty fun for me. Um, clearly, you are a renowned broadcaster the catchphrase doesn't define you and I, I it's good for i feel better saying that because now i'm going to ask you about the catchphrase um how oh baby took on a life of its own um i how how did it become and how is it part of your life
1: well uh the good news is that uh my life goes on without oh baby because uh if i'm not in st louis people don't say oh baby <laughs> and folks folks don't know, I was uh, was, uh, on a treadmill about two weeks ago at a gym here in Portland and a lady comes up who was probably 40 years old and I I didn't realize I had a t-shirt on that had a blues logo and this lady comes up and says "Uh, are you from St. Louis? I said yeah I am and she said what did you do there? I said well I was a hockey broadcaster, baseball broadcaster so once in a while I, I get a connection but Oh, baby, started accidentally. I am, and I've, many people I'm sure have heard this story, and are, at least they'll say I tell the same story every time, <laughs> that I, I've never liked the idea of having catchphrases. You know, I, I, I don't know why. It's also like I never use nicknames. I've never used a nickname uh, in a broadcast. Uh, wow. Never. Uh, wow. And I, <clears throat> I don't know why. It's, it's a personality quirk. And so I, I was very much against having a catchphrase, didn't try to develop one. For some reason, in the mid-'80s, I said, oh, baby, somewhere or a couple of times. And uh, my wife heard it, and she said, well, why don't you use that more? And I said, what, what are you talking about? We, I heard you say, oh, baby, it was kind of interesting. Why don't you use it more? So, you know, I, that sort of gave me permission to do something that I wouldn't normally do. And I did it, and, of course, the big fear is you're going to wear it out. You're going to use it too often. So I tried to use it only when I got so excited I could almost not stand it. And there were certainly many times in those 20 seasons with the Blues that I got real excited, and there was good reason to get excited. So that's how it how it came to be, and fans seemed to like it, uh, enjoyed it. And as you can see, we're talking talking about it decades later so i i guess people enjoyed it and that's the main thing that folks enjoyed the the broadcasts
0: do you remember the last time ken wilson you unleashed an O baby
1: uh i think when i broadcast seattle mariners baseball in 2011 and 2012 uh which was exciting to do for me uh i used it a little but the old baby is you know is not suited for baseball uh, quite like it is for hockey, because you typically don't get as excited very often uh, broadcasting a baseball game as you do a hockey game. But that's probably the last time it was used, and it was somewhat infrequent, and it's, it's not exactly a household phrase in Seattle, Washington.
0: Now, you mentioned the woman that saw you on the treadmill. Did she uh, did she, rec- she recognized you and just then kind of coyly ask, hey, how are you involved with the team?
1: Well, she she saw the St. Louis identification and just wanted to know if I was from there. She was from Southern Illinois, and her fa- her family was big sports fans, and and that was it. Uh, it's it, it's interesting where you run into people. Every once in a while, I'll run into somebody who, uh, believe it or not, will, you know, say, "Aren't you Ken Wilson?" And I'll I'll I, I admit to it still. So
0: that's good. To uh, hear. But it
1: doesn't it doesn't happen too often out here on the. On the West Coast, some people will. Uh, my my son is just finishing up his senior year in high school and his tenth year playing ice hockey. Oh wow! And uh, <laughs> there are a lot of uh... Canadians and real hockey people involved as parents, so some of them are aware that I had a life before my current life, and uh, they'll they'll say something. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty well incognito and hidden, and I don't get back to St. Louis. Uh, too often. I'm trying to think I've been there four times in 14 years and ironically I was there twice this past summer. Oh. Uh and, and and happened to go to a Gateway Grizzlies game and see my old friend Rich Soje but I, I unfortunately I was there for a funeral and oh. a visit my wife grew up there so she has a lot of friends in St. Louis and she goes back often and uh I do not usually make the trek but I I did a couple of times and uh yeah, there's still people that see me and go, "Aren't you Ken Wilson, oh baby?" That's cool. Uh, they have they have long memories.
0: Yeah. No, I mean that's that's you know part of the reason I wanted to do this podcast was just to kind of uh talk about the things that are entrenched in St. Louis society. You know, what Becky the Queen of Carpets, you could go up to somebody who's who's 30 or somebody who's 80 and, and talk about the Queen of Carpets. I remember when she flew over the arch. Or- flew through the arch and, uh, same, same with Oh baby. And, uh, and, and of course the, the reason, uh, it was so popular in my opinion was because you embodied the emotion that we were all having watching these games. And we got to watch the great Brett Hull, uh, score so many big goals for St. Louis. And, uh, for you, can you describe the thrill, uh, that was, uh, experiencing Brett Hull hockey?
1: Well, it, it was great being involved with Brett Hall. I realized a few years ago that I broadcast his very first goal in the NHL when he was a fuzzy cheek kid playing with <laughs> Calgary in the 1986 Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, the Rangers, I believe it was the... the I would have to remember now, but mm-hmm. uh, I did his first goal, and I probably did many, many, many of his goals, yeah. even though we missed some when he was with Dallas and Detroit, but... That was always exciting and uh, e- typically emotional. And you talk about the emotion. I think some people would say, "Well, Wilson was making that up." But I, you know, I love the game of hockey so much, and get involved. I played as a kid, and you know, I can feel the emotion. Even though I certainly wasn't a good player, I, I could, in an NA watching an NHL game. I mean, I could. My body would be on the ice, and I'd know what was going to happen, or I knew what would should happen, and I could anticipate. Of what was likely to happen, and I was very emotionally involved, and of course uh, I wanted the Blues to win every game, so the emotion uh, was real. And Brett Hull provided uh, plenty of moments for that emotion to come through. And you know, Brett was certainly an interesting uh, character and and quite a player. And there were games, you know, where he would, you know, just rise to the occasion at the end. I remember one night at the old auditorium in Buffalo, where he didn't play very well. There were nights that Brett just, you know, Brett, Brett was just there. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it was like the game was, you know, the Blues were down 2-1, to one, you know, with a minute 10 to go or something. And all of a sudden, I remember there was a face-off in the circle to the right, and I'm thinking to myself, this guy hasn't done a thing all night. And, you know, he's going to go out there. and Maybe it was tied, I don't know, but... You know, they get a face-off, and Brett, let's go with that quick snapshot and scores. And, you know, the headline is Hull's goal gives Blues tie, or Hull's goal gives Blues victory. And and that was uh, kind of how it went oftentimes. Yeah. You'd be exclaiming, Brett, Hull, oh, baby. And that's basically the only thing he did the whole night was score that goal. But that's <laughs> what made him partly what made him a star. Mm-hmm. You know, he could do whatever you needed to have done at just about any time. And, you know, I think he was a lot better player, not that being in the Hall of Fame is, is anything short, but he was a lot better player, all-around player, than a lot of people would give him credit for. You know, he wasn't a great skater, but I thought he was a really good passer, and uh, obviously he could shoot the puck. Uh, you know, I, it was it was always fun watching Brett, to say nothing of a number of other players who... Were with the Blues in in that long, long period.
0: You can probably guess the next two calls I'm going to ask you about. Uh, one, of course, Doug Wickenheiser. The other, here comes shovel day. So we'll, <laughs> <laughs> we will. Uh, let's start with the former, of course. Doug Wickenheiser scores the Monday Night Miracle in 1986. He is part of St. Louis hockey lore, sports lore. The late Doug Wickenheiser. Can you talk about? That moment for you as a broadcaster and for the team.
1: Well, I, I have gone back. I mean, you can you can look look that up on the internet and watch that. And finally, I in the last couple of years, I think I watched it uh, one time. And I my gosh, it was <laughs> it was exciting. But what really was more exciting than that goal was the comeback. Yeah, you know, in the third period, the comeback was absolutely incredible and when i think of the comeback i think of greg Pazlowski. although uh you know brian sutter was involved and a lot of players were involved in that fabulous comeback then you get to overtime and i i think people sometimes forget what was at stake it was game six uh the blues were you know trying to get to the to the finals uh and in this case trying to survive and get to game seven two nights later in calgary and uh You know, so many things had happened uh, that were absolutely incredible, that everybody was on edge and everybody was ready for more excitement, believe it or not, and it it, it turned out it was kind of a broken play. Bernie Federico was uh, in the middle of it, and there was a rebound or a a shot off a leg, and all of a sudden there's Wickenheiser, and it happened so quickly, bang, it's in the net, (laughs) and the place, the old arena was, was rocking like it never had before, and uh, obviously, people still talk about that. That's probably the most famous game in Blues history, and will remain the most famous game in Blues history until they win the Stanley Cup. So yeah. it was it was quite a night, and uh, I haven't forgotten it certainly. And uh, you know, I, I, it's it's fun to look back, and maybe in ten more years I'll look back and, and watch it again. But it's uh, it brings goosebumps when you watch it.
0: I can't imagine the uh, the bar tabs at Schmeezing's that night over there by the by the old arena. Uh, the other call, Tim Shovel Day. Uh, it's just a perfect name uh, for a, a perfect call. Uh, I don't I don't know why. It just it just it just fits so well. And uh, what I'm referring to is is a famed uh, brawl that actually involved goalies Curtis Joseph versus Detroit's. Tim Shevelday, and Ken Wilson had the call uh, for you. Do, do you remember that moment and the energy from that building?
1: Yeah, I do, I do remember. the. You know, Obviously, it was so unusual to have two goalies, in this case Curtis Joseph and Tim Shevelday, and you've got the Blues and the Red Wings, and that always uh, was a lot of hype. So I, I do remember it, but it was just the fact that the two goalies were involved, and that's why when, when you hear that, here comes Shevelday! And, and it was more surprise than anything. It was like, holy cow, what's going on here? <laughs> and here comes Shovel Day. But back in those days, you know, the brawls like that uh, were not unusual. Okay. And they were a big part of the game. Uh, I think the game certainly is better today uh, than it was in terms of speed and finesse. But there's a lot to be said for some of the fights and some of the brawls and uh, Bob Probert and Tony Twist and Kelly Chase and some of the fights that, that, that happened. and uh, that, was a, that was a classic because everybody was paired up, and then all of a sudden you had Shevelday and Joseph in the main event. So, uh, you know, who, who, who could believe that they would be the headliners in, in that big fight? So it's interesting, uh, Benjamin, how hockey has changed. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I go back to the era when you had to really be tough or you couldn't play. Uh, when I grew up, of course, there were there were only six teams, and I growing up in Detroit, I was a huge Gordie Howe fan. And you know, when you talk about tough, uh, Gordie was tough. Not only was he the greatest player, but he was probably the toughest player. And you had to be tough to play in a six-team league. And if you weren't, you weren't there very long. And I watch hockey today, and it's again, I I think it's for the better, but it's changed so much just so much. I saw a game in October, I saw Indianapolis play at Wichita in the East Coast Hockey League and I said to myself, I said, does anybody hit anybody? <laughs> does anybody check? Uh, the other night I went and saw a Western Hockey League game. I saw the Everett Silvertips play the Portland Winterhawks. They have a lot of talent in the Western Hockey League. I mean a lot of players go to the NHL mm-hmm. and I said the same thing again. <laughs> I they, they they hardly checked it wasn't rough and tough. And my son, I mentioned, plays high school hockey. After last season, they took out body checking.
0: Oh, wow. And,
1: you know, parents aren't supposed to yell and scream. <laughs> I, they played a game the other day. He uh, was on a select team, and they went to play in Eugene, Oregon. And I, I, my wife went crazy. She grabbed me. I jumped up after about the second time somebody brushed against somebody and got a penalty for checking. I said, get out the petticoats. And the parents looked at me like I was a fool. But I guess that just shows that I go back a long way when, as I say, the game was a real man's game. Right. But uh, yeah. that's fine. Hockey's hockey's terrific. The, the skill level and the speed is amazing, and it's a terrific game. But it certainly is different uh, from the game we saw years ago.
0: Sure. Uh, I'll put you on the spot if you can remember maybe some favorite places in St. Louis that you used to hang out, maybe get some food or a drink or ice cream or what have you.
1: Well, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be difficult on names. I can go to places. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, my wife is a big Emos fan, and when okay. I was there twice this past summer, I had a lot of Emos pizza. Uh, I tend to be a Fortells pizza man. Okay, uh, I, I got to know the family; they're great people and i really uh i really liked fortell's pizza all the time and had some when i was there recently and it was as good as ever uh, also used to hang up out down oh my gosh you're really testing my geography <laughs> i had a barbecue joint which there were two or three of them and one of them was down i want to say it 44 in woods mill oh. and uh i wish i could remember the name i wish i don't know if it's even still there but uh, i know there were a lot of autographs on the wall, and my auto- autograph was on the wall. When I went back there years later, it was still there. Before the fire, we used to go to Ragazzi's down on the hill a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, Charlie Gitos. Uh, Charlie's a good friend and knows my brother-in-law very well. And uh, we would go to Gitos a lot and, oh. of course, uh, talk about St. Louis traditions. I, I, was, <laughs> I was there three days total this past summer. And I was at Ted Drew's three times. So what does that tell you?
0: <laughs> Perfect. Well said. That sums it all up right there. Um, oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. I should have asked it earlier when we were talking about uh, your college days. Uh, I, I, I know my wife, Angela, will, will love to hear about this. You went to college with Gilda Radner, correct?
1: I did go to college with Gilda Radner. Well, uh, and, uh, yeah,
0: tell us about College Gilda.
1: Well, she we we were not best of friends. I could tell you we were best of friends, and unfortunately, she wouldn't be able to yeah. tell you that that wasn't true. But we were not best of friends. She worked on the student radio station, as as I did, and uh, I mentioned I was sports director. Then I was program director, and you know nobody knew what Gilda was going to be in in the future. But you could tell she was talented. She was funny, and what I, re- I remember two things. One, she did voices. You know that we'd have it back in those days on carts and play, and uh, back in those days on radio, you if your show started and I'd have a record show, and uh, you know it would be now, ladies and gentlemen. And Gilda did all of those, huh. you know. And somewhere, somewhere in the archives, I have a tape where Gilda goes and now, ladies and gentlemen, the Ken Wilson show, and and she was always funny. And I do remember one time when. Uh, uh, Bill Cosby, I hate to bring him up, but uh, he was in town to do a concert. This would have been in '67 or so when he had, I guess, the TV. He was a, really a young, uh, up-and-coming comic at that time. and He came by the student radio station to promote his concert, and we sat in the studio. And I, I do recall sitting next to Gilda Radner. There were probably six or seven of us, and Gilda and I were sitting next to each other and probably three or four feet away from Bill Cosby. Uh, talking to him, so I wow. didn't know her well, but uh, certainly uh, we were we were acquainted, and and she went on to uh, obviously a fabulous career.
0: Yeah, wow, wow! That's uh, Ken Wilson, uh, Gilda Radner, and Bill Cosby hanging out. Uh, what, what a what a neat neat trio from a from a historic and entertainment standpoint,
1: indeed. Yeah. yeah, I guess I guess I was the weak link in that group, wasn't I? Well, but you're still <laughs> you're
0: still Ken Wilson,
1: though.
0: <laughs> now, uh, yep. In my my final question is, uh, I mean, how can I do this? May I, I? I was trying to decide how to ask. May I have an O baby? Could you give us one more O baby?
1: Yeah, I can even give you a little play-by-play. As my wife says, you could do this in your sleep.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you get, you get, you get. This could be the last one of a lifetime. You never know. Here come the Blues at center ice. Oates has the puck, carries over the blue line to the right wing to Holly. He shoots, he scores. Oh, baby, Brett Hulls. <laughs> I love it. I love it. What there a treat.
0: Go. What a treat for me and obviously for the listeners of this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Ken Wilson joining us on Hosted Ravioli. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, everybody, tell everybody else about Hosted Ravioli Word is, is slowly spreading around town. We're on iTunes, Google Play. You can find us, of course, on stltoday.com podcast. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Tell people about us. Uh, we want to uh, create an interactive community where people can uh, message me and uh, suggest who should be on the show next. Uh, of course, we're on Twitter, at Hosted Ravioli. And uh, I really look forward to hearing from all of our listeners. And Ken Wilson... You're the man, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh baby!